whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. Uh, I've been definitely tracking uh, this next guest and really, really inspired by everything that he's done to disrupt an industry that is incredibly hard to disrupt and change. And I'm talking to Samsak, and I'm going to try and pronounce his last name, Sakonmang. Yes. Close? Very okay. close. Very close. Very close. Who is a partner and the creative director of an incredible brand called Alex Mill. And if you have not seen or bought or walked into their store in Soho, you absolutely need to check out Alex Mill. It is this incredible, incredible brand. We're going to get into the history and how Samsak ended up joining after an incredible career uh, working on some brands that you definitely know. He actually, for those of you who are not familiar with his name, brands like J. Crew and Madewell. So we'll definitely get into that journey and how he got there. Did he always know that this is where he was going to be seated? Or um, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll go from there. So welcome. Thank you. Very excited to have you here, Samsak. So you've achieved tremendous success as a designer, a creative director. Now you're a partner and a creative director of a very, very uh, cool brand called Alex Mill. I bet you didn't snap your finger and say, okay, it all just happened, right? It was super easy peasy. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear how it happened. Yeah, definitely. I I grew up, I mean, how far do we want to go back? I, I grew up in Toronto. 
Awesome. I went to uh, high school in Toronto and college, and or not college, high school. And I always knew I wanted to be in the arts somehow, whether it be um, painting or drawing. But I knew it had to be some sort of design rather than like f- fine arts. Like I knew I wasn't mm-hmm. going to make any money doing fine arts. And I, I did want to buy stuff and live in an apartment and I have to like live off my parents and stuff. So fashion design was definitely uh, an option that I gravitated towards as a young kid. My mom and my aunt and my grandma, they were all seamstresses and they loved making clothes for us on our birthdays. And so we just, I just naturally gravitated towards um, fashion design, I think. And I remember growing up and finding old issues of Vogue's and stuff like that and reading through them and noticing, you know, every one of my favorite designers, whether it be Mark Jacobs or Isaac or Donna Karen, there would always be Parsons School of Design attached to each of those names. And so I guess hmm. I was like, well, if I want to be one, like one of them, I guess I'm going to have to go to Parsons School of Design. And so we saved tons of money. We called aunts and great aunts in Australia and we pooled all our money and we sent me to Parsons School of Design in New York. And that's where I got my degree in fashion design. And I was there for four years, graduated in 99, which was a very exciting time in New York, I think, for fashion design at that time. It was Y2K, like 2000s, everything was kind of happening in New York. And my first job out of school was with Diane von Furstenberg doing her home shopping network line. I was there for probably about a year and a half, learned lots, you know, dressing all of America, QVC, uh, HSN very different market than what I thought I was going to get into. And then I was there for about a year. And then one day a friend of mine called me up and said, there's a, fr- there's an opening at J crew. I don't want it, the job, but maybe you want the job. And so I said, sure, why not? Let's go see what happens. And uh, I met with Jenna Lyons, who was my first boss. And I remember during the interview, there were no openings for women's wear, which is what I had gone to school for. It was only men's wear and accessories. And she said, you pick. What What do you want to do? And I said, why not do accessories? I was like, sure, let's do accessories. And that's how my career at J. Crew started, was designing socks as an assistant, design assistant, all the way at the bottom uh, to, in 1999, so a long time ago. So that was an incredible time to be at J. Crew, yeah. uh, of course. Yes. And uh, and can you talk a little bit about that? Because it was really going through. It, it was it starting to go through kind of a, a sh- yeah. I don't know, a shift. <laughs> and it is is the right word, but a hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like by the time I got there, it was kind of dormant. I mean, everyone kind of knew what it was. I think it. Everyone. Uh, was familiar with it, but it hadn't reached its full potential. And that's, I was probably there in 2001. By the time 2002 came around, I remember we were all at work that morning and there was an announcement that went through the PA system that we all had to gather in the main hall for a big announcement. And that announcement was that Mickey Drexler was now going to be coming to the company. And I mean, there was tons of buzz, obviously, and, you know, frenzy and trying to prepare for that meeting. But I would say once Mickey got there, everything sort of like went up. We started soaring and the company changed. It wasn't the same company after he got there. I always joke, it's, you know, there was BM and before Mickey, and then there was AM after Mickey. Those are, <laughs> there was a very distinct line that you could draw between the two eras. So interesting. So so you went beyond at J Crew. You went beyond accessories and and designing socks. Yep. Can you share a little bit about your career yep. there? Yeah. So I uh, obviously started as a design assistant, and within maybe five years, I had gone to the head of accessories, the head of uh, all women's accessories, and then within maybe two more years, I was head of women's, and then by the time I left. In 2018, I was head of all men's and women's uh, design. And it's, it's, I always think it's, it was the kind of company where if you went in, you worked hard, showed your potential, was creative, the, the doors were open. You could, you could pick your path, you could do your, your thing, you know, as long as you sort of stood out and worked really hard, which sounds cliche, but it was really true. 
So you went on to another brand, uh, Madewell, which uh, I guess yes. Mickey is kind of a, the thread throughout um, some of your journey. Yeah. But uh, talk to me about Madewell and yes. what you were kind of tasked with to do when you got there. Yeah, Madewell, we had, uh, Madewell had been around probably five years and I guess it had sort of hit a plateau of sorts and they were just looking for a new direction. And I was asked if I would be interested in taking it over and sort of changing, you know, the way, the direction of where it was going. Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously it was a very exciting opportunity. I loved that it was a little more under the radar than J. Crew. So you, the, the room to play was a lot more, there was more room to play, obviously, because we didn't have as much history and baggage, I guess, behind it. And so I remember going into the first, before I started the job, I went into a store and I remember just looking around at the store and seeing what was in the store, but also seeing what wasn't in the store. You know, I think oftentimes people think, um, what's in the store is, as, is important. Obviously it is, but I think what isn't in the store is just as important. It's, it, it sort of helps to streamline the vision, you know, like um, it's, it's about an edit, obviously, you know, what you edit out of the store makes the vision much stronger as what you have in the store. And I think that was a big light bulb. When I walked through the store, I knew what I didn't want in the store anymore and what it needed more of. And so we focused on denim, making denim a much bigger part of the, the collab or much bigger part of the, the assortment. And if once denim was the base of what we were doing, what would you wear with the denim? So wardrobing was really important. You know, I would love, you could come in and get a pair of jeans, but I want you to, I want you to leave with more than a pair of jeans. I want you to leave with a whole wardrobe. And there was a sense of, you know, women or women were walking in with their daughters and the daughters were buying stuff and not the moms or the aunts and stuff. And I, that would, that really bothered me. I wanted everyone to be able to walk out and look cool and look sexy. There wasn't an age ceiling to what I wanted to do. And so I was there for probably maybe three or four years. And then I moved back to J crew to head all of J crew. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off 
unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Wild. So working at two incredible brands, so that was over 16 years. Uh, So how do you stay rooted in one place for so long? That's a long time, right? I mean, to be with two brands and, uh, and J. Crew is obviously men and women, but Madewell yeah. was just women. Yeah. Was, was there, if you think about, you know, what did you learn from those two experiences that made you kind of where you are today in terms of, uh, you know, the experience becoming a partner and Alex Mill and the creative direction yep. before we get into that? Yep. I'd love to hear like, there's there's a lot of people who don't uh, think that they're um, you know qualified, right? That they look back on their incredible right. experience, but they're like, I don't even know how to yeah. go and start something and rejigger something. Yet, right. obviously, you've sort of done that in your two previous experiences. Right. So, I'd love to hear kind of what you learned, maybe about the industry and what you saw as a whole that you felt like you wanted to go and tackle. Yeah, definitely. I think. With my two experiences with Madewell and J. Crew, the product is key. You have to believe uh-huh. in what you're doing. You have to love what you're doing. Like if I didn't believe in what I was putting out, then the drive to come in every day and work from nine to eight or nine to ten, I wouldn't have survived. You know, you really need to love what you do so that you don't mind being there late. You don't mind mm-hmm. having all those conversations every single day, doing the same collection or a collection every single year four times a year um so you really have to be passionate about what you do and then you have to believe in what you do like you know um, that you're doing something great and the other thing i would say are the people the team that you work with i would say hands down you know if if you didn't have a team that supported you and you didn't have a team that sort of 
above and below, I would say, you know, you're the team that you work with every single day is really important. And the team that sort of helped guide you and mentor you. And that would be Mickey or Jenna. For me, there, there was no way I would have, you know, been able to do that for as long as I have, because they obviously saw what I had in me and helped open doors and gave me more and more. The more you, the more you did, the more you were given, you know, and so you just slowly sort of go up on the, the levels and then you're given new responsibilities, new ways to exercise your creative muscles. You know, I wasn't sketching every day by the time I was head of men's and women's, but I was thinking much bigger picture, strategizing, doing launches, maybe thinking about new categories that we could open up or focus on. All that is creative, but just different ways of being creative. So you came into Alex Alex Mill, and I'd love to, as a yes. partner, and you're the creative director, yeah. uh, a little bit different story than uh, and yeah. smaller brand than these other brands uh, that you had been working on. Yeah. So can you share the story of how that all came about? A hundred percent. It's a funny story because I, by, by the, the, the fall of 2017, I had left J. Crew, and so did Mickey. And we had kept in touch. I would say, you know, I always joke that he was my fairy godfather, sort of like reaching out, calling me, checking in on me, seeing where I was, what I was up to. Uh, I just knew that I needed a break from everything I was doing and just time to like regroup and not think about fashion for a while. And so by the time 2018 had come around in January, I had gone to Thailand. I had taken time off. I really valued my time you know, my daily time. And so he was asking what I was up to and whether I'd be interested in meeting with his son, Alex Drexler from Alex Mill. And I, if I was familiar with the brand and I said, a hundred percent, I'm very familiar. And I loved the brand for what it stood for. And it had, there was a tiny shop in Nolita that I had uh -huh. frequented often checked out the stuff. So I was already a fan. And so one morning, I think it was probably in February, we sat and the three of us at a hotel restaurant in downtown, and we talked about doing something together. Um, fast forward to probably April, we were all in this tiny office on Broadway below Canal, probably the size of my old office at J. Crew. Everyone was in this little space sort of brainstorming about, you know, what this next, what this, the next iteration of this brand could be. Uh, so that was very exciting. Up until then, it was only men's. And by the time I got on, it was probably men's tees and sweaters. And so we thought, you know, why not add women's? We love women's wear. And I know a lot of women had been coming into Alex Mill and shopping and buying the men's stuff anyways. So it was kind of a no-brainer to add women's to the brand because women obviously had already loved the brand, but there wasn't a women's line. And then we sort of expanded the men's offering um, and then by 2019, we had a website, we had a full relaunch and that was history. Very, very cool. So I've heard you talk about staples and that how they play an important role in the ethos of Alex Mill. So can you explain that to people who maybe have not been in the apparel industry, but why you tend to go back to that? I think that obviously there's, uh, you know, different trends in the industry mm -hmm. that go, come and go, I should say. Yeah. But you seem to really be consistent in making sure that the staples are are there, the colors are there, the high quality, all of those things, when I think about things that you've touched, uh, are yeah. very much staples. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that would be a common thread throughout my whole career is the idea of style and taste and quality. You know, whether it be in a large scale or a small scale, I think regardless of trends, those three things are always things that people look for and need. Um, I remember um, when we first got together, everyone was like, well, why start a new brand? Why start a new brand? And it was more so having taken the time off and I think having gotten older, the idea of like more clothes just didn't seem like it made any sense. But it, it wasn't so much what we were doing wasn't so much more clothes, but it was the right clothes. I think that speaks to staples. You know, it was, I knew in my heart, my closet was big, but there were five things that I wore every day. There were the same five things that I knew when I put on, I looked good. 
I didn't have to fuss over. I didn't have to spend time putting this with that or matching this. I just didn't have the time, nor did I want to spend the time, waste my time doing all that. And so it wasn't, or our tagline was not more clothes, but the right clothes. So we were putting out clothes, but these were the clothes these were the pieces that you would keep in your closet day in and day out, wear them, maybe pass them down. They weren't the kind of clothes that would be complicated. They were easy, but you would look so crazy stylish when you put them on. And that was important. Definitely. And it was, it was the brand focused on that at, at, I mean, you came in and obviously added the, the women's apparel yeah. too, but did you feel yeah. like you've gone more into staples uh, since you've come on, I mean, as a brand? Alex, uh, when we, he first started, it was a brand that had great shirts, great jeans, and great outerwear. And the key thing to what we're doing, what he had always done too, was that it wasn't a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was a really tight edit, you know? And I think the idea of walking into a huge mall, a huge store with millions of options, millions of sweaters just didn't, it wasn't something that we wanted to do anymore or felt like it was relevant as much, you know? Mm-hmm. I want to walk into a store and have you tell me that these are the four shirts you need. This is the sweater you're going to want. And so, or that's the coat that you're going to need. And so that's what we're doing here. I think, you know, I think the edit is so important. Walking into a store, you're going to get my edit with Mickey's edit and Alex's edit. The three of us have come together and we're saying, this is our edit. And I think that's just, I mean, it's not revolutionary, but it's, it sounds so, I don't know, great. You know, I think, I think for so many people out there, they really relate to the idea of not having to like rifle through tons of stuff to get what they want. Yeah, definitely. I I one thousand percent agree. So when yeah. when you launch a new collection, can you take us through the process? A hundred percent. So every season we launch, we have four collections a year: men's and women's, and spring, summer, fall, winter. We will put together. Me and my team will sit together and we'll talk about all the things that we love. You know, whether it's new stuff or whether it's the stuff that currently is on the line that we feel is still relevant. So it's not about throwing everything out every season, which I don't think people do anyways with their closets. There are things Mm -hmm. that you love and things that still feel relevant. So if it's like a work jacket, which we have had on the line since day one, like if we do do it again, maybe we tweak the fit or maybe we do it in a new fabric. And then because it's fashion, obviously there still needs to be a level of relevancy. So we'll look at what we feel like is out there in the market or what we're seeing on the streets that could be added to the collection. And then we'll, you know, start sketching, we'll pull fabrics, we'll pull colors, and then we'll start putting our collection together and send it off to the factories to have it made. And once the collection comes back in, we sit with Mickey and the team and the merchants and, you know, our production team, and we help edit the the line down even more to the sort of the essential pieces that we want to, stand behind for the season and then we put the collection together and then we'll have a a wholesale because we still do wholesale we'll have market weeks Mm -hmm. where buyers from all over the country partners that we've worked with forever they come in they look at the collection they'll buy stuff for their store and that is probably we work a year ahead of time wow ahead of like right now it's what, what year is this? December 23. We're working on the stuff that you're going to see in the store in about a year. So next year. So it's all, it takes a year to put that all together. And at any one point you could be working on four different seasons. Like right now we're designing fall or we're designing holiday, but we just shot the campaign for spring 23. And then the market week that's in the showroom right now is for summer 23, 24. Mm-hmm. It's kind of every season all the time. So what do you think is the biggest change in the industry from the time that you were graduating from Parsons to, to now? Like what, what do you think is it for, for you and your position? Like, I mean, direct to consumer obviously has gotten super hot. Um, uh, I would have to say things like, like supply chain probably has, you have to think about those type of things, but I'd love to hear kind of what's the biggest shift. 
Yeah, I would say all that plus, you know, I, I think there are so many options today. Uh-huh. So many options. I've never seen so many places you can buy things. You know, I think it's never been easier to start your own brand than it is today. And you could just be selling on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like everyone has a brand, everyone has something to offer. And so you're competing against so many people these days. And I think um, that on top of marketing, marketing has just changed completely with Instagram, social media, influencers. You know, back in the day, I remember you would just buy pages in Vogue and that would be your advertising budget. Now it's like, what's Vogue? Like no one even, like, no one yeah. even knows what that is anymore. And so it's just trying to be as creative as possible trying to stand out in a field of so many different people. Um, yeah, just being as as creative as possible. I feel like every single day is a challenge to sort of cut through, make yourself heard, but in a very creative way that sort of, sort of feels like you still. Definitely. So you've designed for men and women. Is there one that you like yeah. designing for more? It's it's very funny. I think uh, I'm innately like I, I go into each one very differently. Obviously, as a man, I go in and put in things that I think I would like to wear. Uh-huh. And women, it's much more not fanciful, but it's much more editorial. I would feel like it's less, um, you know, personal in a way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, but I do think you know, at the end of the day, both both genders or both categories they they sort of want the same thing you know i think it's a clarity of vision obviously i think they want you know style and taste and quality like i was saying before that doesn't regardless of gender that's always the common thread here at alex mill and with everything we do so you talked about social media how do you build a strong and loyal community uh with social media i mean is it uh you know, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody yesterday about, um, I have a, one of my kids, uh, who loves your store, by the way, is, uh, 19. Yeah. And he's a, he's a college freshman. Um, but he definitely likes, you know, not necessarily to wear to class. Uh, but, you know, he likes a lot of the nicer clothes, the sweaters, the, um, the trousers, things like that from, from your store. But he's also on TikTok. He's also on Snapchat. He's probably less on Instagram. And and I think it's fascinating because um, I would say that he's uh, he definitely likes nice things, um, maybe too much. He's got to get a job at some point along the way. Yeah. But he but uh, but he's also um, I would say that generation is very fickle too, right? Like to your point, yes. if they see something yes. going on on TikTok and um, you know, that they like, they'll go and try it. Right. But I'm so curious, how, how do you think about your demographic and, uh, you know, how do you build a strong and loyal community? If you're, if you're a brand, whether you're an apparel brand or what have you seen as kind of work? Yeah, it's funny. Cause I think we, we approach each, you know, bit of marketing with, um, or even like every post that we post, uh, with the idea of how do we make it feel personal? Mm-hmm. How do we make it feel like you're going to learn a little bit of us and not have it be so salesy or markety? And I think we've been really lucky. I think I always joke that the best part of this job and the worst part is the size of it. We're very mm-hmm. small. And so at the end of the day, I can get stuff done so much quicker and we can try things much better because we're small, but it's also big. Be- because it's small, you're doing every single thing and you're working and you're busting your butt every single day. And I like that we, w- we want to show everyone how small we are. I think that's important, how personal we can be, I think. And by being small, you know, every single day, Mickey will come in or someone will come in with something that we're wearing, you know, and we'll be like, grab a phone, let's just film this, post it, and we'll see what happens. It's just like the, the, the idea of you being able to like take a peek into what we do, how we do it, I think has, has kind of worked well. I think most of what most of our highest liked posts have been these sort of very intimate personal posts. And I, I think the more we do them, the more we see people like them. And so that's 
that's been what we've been focused on is sort of again giving people a little inside view of bts or you know whatever view of what we do here and how we do it i couldn't agree more and i think that people are very curious about what's behind the brand too and i think that they're yeah. less likely they uh aren't as interested in, um, you know, the brands. I think it's tougher for people to, uh, to sort of be relevant in today's, today's social media when they, when there aren't people behind it. Right. Or that if a brand is afraid to have people, um, come out and, and sort of speak about it, I think it's, it's, uh, not, it does not sync with the consumer of today. Exactly, exactly. And I think too, like, you know, everyone makes clothes, everyone makes jeans or everyone makes shoes, but what sets us apart are, is the people that we work with. And mm-hmm. so why don't we use that, show that a little bit and have it be a point of a distinction, you know, like these are the people that help us design or these are the people that help us buy the brand or these are the vendors that we work with, all that stuff. And so it's been a, a and it's also been fun to to share too, which is... <laughs> Great. Lots of fun. So can you share any great stories in the journey uh, since you got to Alex Mill uh, where you just felt like, wow, I'm doing the right thing, right? This, I, I just love this brand. I love what I'm creating. Maybe a consumer yeah. saw you out, saw you at a party and said, no way. I love Alex Mill. That's great. And they couldn't believe you were the guy that was doing a lot of the creative designing. I mean, yeah, it's been really interesting. I mean, I, I have always loved the idea of working in a place where, you know, people could afford what you were doing and wanted what, you know, you mm-hmm. were designing. I Nothing makes me happier than seeing the stuff on people on the street. I, I always joke, too, the number of times I've seen when I've gone to drop off my dry cleaning and seeing the piece that I designed is in the back of the dry cleaners getting cleaned. Like someone has had invested or chosen that piece to buy has always been very you know, heartwarming for me, but yeah, there've been, I was in, it was in vacation. I was on vacation in Italy this summer and we were in the, on the Island of Ischia and we were at dinner. I remember it was me and my sister and her husband. And just before this guy, this couple had left riding off on a, a moped, you know, in the middle of the night, he came over and he was like, Oh, you're from Alex Mill. Right. And he was like, I just want to thank you and just say how much I love your stuff. And I was like, oh, how'd you know it was me? He was like, come on, I see you on Instagram all the time. It's just like somehow I've become this um, face, you know, that people recognize via Instagram. And it's been it's been so great. You know, I think it's it's um, and we did we just to talk about uh, yeah. another fun story uh, for our social media, we this summer we launched uh, a jumpsuit campaign and we came up with a dance video. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, but I have um, not, but our, I definitely need social, to go check it out. Yeah. Please take a look. Our head of social came up with the idea while I was on vacation. She was like, when you come back on Friday, get your dance shoes on. We're going to be making a video. And I was like, Oh gosh, that's the last thing I want to do on a half day Friday. And so we all came in, the whole team was there. We all got our, dancing shoes on and the choreography was set up and within three hours we had filmed a whole dance video with our jumpsuits um that took us from downstairs in the lobby all the way up in the elevator into the office and ended in this huge big dance <laughs> at the end in the showroom and i that probably got the most likes we've ever gotten because it was just so fun that's um, awesome and so personal and the whole it was the whole team dancing um and I think it put a lot of smiles on everyone's faces. So that's always great. I love it. So what's the most challenging aspect of building a brand? Um, I think every day for me, it's been how to stay true to yourself, but also push forward. I think it's that balance you have to figure out every single day. I think, you know, I, I oftentimes I'll get, you know, whether it be my team or other team members, you know, bringing in ideas, being like, what do you think about this? And every single decision I make has to be, is it right for the brand? And if it is, you know, where is it going to take the brand? Obviously we don't always want to be last year, itis doing the same thing over and over because that's not going to get anyone anywhere. Um, but it's always trying to find the balance between what's new 
and what's going to take us forward and also you know having the idea be very alex mill you know whether someone can look at and be like oh yeah obviously that's alex mill but still feel new and fresh and that goes that goes that goes across everything whether it be marketing ideas whether it be social media posts whether it be the button on a shirt is that the alex mill button it's it's every single detail and every decision has to go through that filter for me and i would say that can be hard <laughs> doing it every day with everything yeah you talked about italy but where do you find the most yeah. inspiration when you're thinking about i've got a i've got to get out there and get creative and where and where are you going to go to go do that i mean i'm i live in New York. So that's always been a huge point of inspiration. You know, I think it's been the mecca of so many things, whether it be design or just going out on the streets and just grabbing a coffee and sitting on a bench and just watching the streets, you know, just seeing what people are doing and also how they're behaving, you know, mm -hmm. whether when I go to dinner, like what are people doing when they're at dinner? Where, what are they wearing? Or, uh, and oftentimes it's also going out there and seeing you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, when you see too much of one thing, you're like, oh, maybe it is time to move on a little bit, you know, so it works both ways. And I think um, we do travel a little bit. We we were just in Paris and London and Copenhagen for inspiration where we go to museums and we vintage visit vintage shops and other stores. And I wouldn't say also Instagram or like mm -hmm. social media. That's been a huge point of it's information hasn't ever been as it, it's, it's so easy to access information these days. Like, you know, I can design a collection based on, let's say Australia and not even leave my bedroom. Yeah. You know, I could just Google Australia and find pictures, you know, it's, it's been so easy. So it's that and a combination of that. And like my team members obviously bring ideas and even um, just being out in the streets and just seeing things. So what are some of the, must-have items for that Alex Mill has that are the most popular items? Our work jackets are amazing. Our work jackets, I think there's a level of... Um, each piece, I think, is pretty versatile. Everything we do, I, I like to infuse with a level of versatility. Like these jackets, you can wear... You can dress them up a little bit. You can wear them out. You can wear them during the spring. You can wear them during the winter. They're great to layer with. Uh, our sweaters are amazing. We've been, you know, doing cotton sweaters, these really great chunky cotton sweaters that have a, a level of um, weight to them, but not too hot and the texture and the stripes. And our cashmere is amazing. We hear that all the time, you know, the, the quality and the price for what you get uh, is awesome. I would say those three jackets, sweaters and cashmere, are the are the key ones very cool? Yeah, are the uh, key ones. Just a couple more quick questions. So, yeah, we all think about failures along the way, yes. and obviously, you're yeah. you're designing. You you talked about designing a year in advance. You've probably mm -hmm. created something uh, that that you're like, oh, this is going to be the hottest thing, and then it wasn't. <laughs> yes, <laughs> when, probably. When yes, you, definitely. When did First of all, how fast do you know that something just is not going to fly? And then how do you have the courage to just say, I messed up, right? And and I need to move forward. And what was that? If you have a story behind that, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think, I think um, I, you could rationalize everything to death, but I think at the end of the day, it's your gut. You know, like uh -huh. when we design something, we'll get a first sample and you know in your gut when you see something, you're just like, I don't know about that. And the whole team will, you know, if you have a great team, they'll sort of be on the same vibe as you and we'll kill it at that point. It's just like there's no point in sort of letting that idea go through and wasting time and energy. But, you know, there all obviously have been things that we put into work that we were like, yeah, of course this is going to work. Everyone's going to love this. And it comes back and you're just like, oh, gosh, I guess no one wanted it. And you know that within the first first you know that within the first few hours of launch day what what bubbles up to the top and what doesn't mm -hmm. bubble and every every mistake honestly and sounds like a cliche is a learning 
experience. And so that's why I'm never that hard on myself or the team. It's just like, if we can learn from this, then we, it wasn't really a loss in any way. We'll just know not to do that or something like that ever again, or for a while. Maybe sometimes things are just too early too. You know, the idea is too early. We've had that before. We've done, um, what was it? I think a vest. We we did so vests are really huge right now. Vests with three pieces, yeah. and we had done one. I think the first maybe four years ago, the first one, and eh, it wasn't that great. The sales were not that great. Fast forward to now, they're blowing out everywhere, and now we have we have a lot of different iterations of vests on our line. But I remember, you know, just thinking, okay, maybe we're we were a little too early on this one, but they're all learning experiences, so I don't regret much in this business. <laughs> Do you feel that certain countries are uh, are ahead of others? I mean, I remember Paris and maybe Tokyo used to definitely be ahead in fashion, but I feel like now, I mean, you see brands like Starbucks is available in all these countries. Like, Has, has yeah. apparel kind of shifted in that way as well, where uh, we're all on the same page now? Or do you think there's still countries that are a little bit ahead and set trends? Yeah, I, I I think there's still places that we'll go to. I think Paris and Tokyo are key prime examples. We'll go to, I mean, every country will have you know these major stores, but it's the 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 these tiny vendors and these tiny businesses. Like we'll visit a store in Paris called Casey Casey, and they're not available online, but you go in there or Egg in London, and they just do some really beautiful special things and. Sometimes it's worth flying all the way there just to see one store that you know that you leave feeling so inspired and it's worth every single dollar. Um, so there are brands who sort of stay off the fray and sort of don't tune into all that noise and just keep chugging along. And I think there there are places around the world that that still exists and they're they're worth traveling thousands of miles to go see. And Tokyo is another example. You know, I've never seen a city where you know, so much thought has been put into every single component of the retail experience, you know, whether it be the paper envelope that the receipt comes in that's folded so precisely and handed to you from behind the, they'll come out from behind the desk to hand it to you. It's all those little things that I think social media will never be able to, you know, take over. Yeah, definitely. I love Tokyo too. I visited a few years ago for the first time and, uh, and it was, um, it was incredible. My former assistant too, uh, is from Tokyo. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah. so she told me all the amazing spots to go to. So I, I felt like I was, um, really an insider. So it was, uh, it was incredible. Yeah. It's the one place I think I could shop for 24 hours and still, now I've seen everything, you know, over a week. Yeah, definitely. There's just so much to see there. So much to see. So last question, you worked with some incredible companies, some incredible mentors, uh, colleagues, um, and obviously you are also now a partner, a creative director, you're managing people. What's kind of the best mm-hmm. advice either you've heard uh, for people that have really helped you to kind of grow and do what you're doing today, or maybe you want to give people advice on, you know, here's what you should be doing if you're ever thinking about going and running, um, running a company or, or you know, being a partner in a company at, at sort of the level that you're at. Oh, definitely. I think um, being curious, I think that's been the biggest um, thing I've learned from every single mentor of mine. Uh, just being curious and always asking questions, you know, never, and it, it, never saying no. I think no is a big conversation stopper. I, I remember a friend telling me um, in improv, you know, every, every, every sort of player acting bit in improv, they say, don't say no, because it just stops every conversation, stops every idea. You just have to, yes is always a good response or just being open and always asking questions. You know, I think, not thinking you know too too much to to not take on other people's ideas or you know always be searching for ideas or being open i think that's been the biggest thing and you know I, there are plenty of times where i thought i knew what was best but you know once i was shown the 
once I was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, show me what you think or let me know what you think or explain yourself a little bit rather than just saying, no, I'm not into that. I think I've learned plenty of lessons, you know, having that mindset, which has always been helpful. I think, you know, had I, had I been not, you know, not open to doing something small, I wouldn't be here today. You know, I had been working with big companies my whole entire life. And this was the first opportunity to do something small, which was obviously scary and very different, but it was very, I was very curious about it too. You know, like what would be the challenges? Would there be new challenges? Would these challenges be better challenges, more exciting challenges? You know, I think always being open to new ideas and things. So, Somsex, thank you so much for being with us today and inspiring us and sharing your journey and talking to us overall about building an incredible brand and everything that you've done uh, in the industry. So everybody needs to check out alexmill.com and also uh, check out Somsex Instagram because it's pretty great. And uh, definitely... um, we uh, we wish you the best of luck. I know uh, what you're doing you. will will continue to just thrive and uh, really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Kara. That was fun. Lots of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. I would love to hear from you too, so feel free to DM me. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Undaunted, where I share more about my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.